I don't know about you, but for me it's eerie how much those words from 1933 resonate today. We are living in uncertain times. Consumer confidence is plummeting and our spending is following it. From cars to coffee and clothing to computers, American consumers are buying less and less. The data released this week by the Commerce Department showed the largest drop in retail sales in the history of such records being kept, 4.1% lower than last year and almost 3% lower than last month. This week's newspapers read like a horror novel. Unemployment is up. Europe is officially in a recession. Only Walmart is managing to make a profit, and then even barely so. Whether we have enough money or not, we feel like we don't. Six months ago, some of us could barely afford to fill our gas tanks. Now, we still wince at the prices that are half of what they were then. Whether we have job security or not, we feel like we don't. Every journalist I know keeps track of the daily announcements of layoffs in their field, even if they work in a fairly safe place. Teachers and nurses cringe when the governor warns of looming budget deficits, sure that the next round of education and health care cuts mean certain doom. And yes, even ministers shudder at every bit of economic news. I have more than one friend whose position or salary has been cut in the last year because of declining giving. Now I say this not to evoke your reassurances or even to guilt you into giving more to the fellowship, but to let you know that I feel the fear myself, even though I'm pretty sure I have little to be afraid of. In particularly uncertain times for our families and our nation, it is natural to be gripped with fear. And fear makes us act and react in ways that are not always healthy or conducive to building relationships with others. Fear makes people do things against their better judgment. It causes us to make snap decisions, to agree to things that we wouldn't agree to if we'd been thinking clearly. It causes us to entertain notions of hatred, thoughts that we would easily dismiss if we were just not afraid. Religions and politicians both have learned to take advantage of this fear to manipulate people. Religions use the fear of eternal damnation to direct people's behaviors in all sorts of ways. They use the fear of being outcast or excommunicated, held over those who might otherwise support things like choice and equal rights. Yesterday, I joined people all around our nation in protesting for marriage equality. I was thrilled to be joined by other members of this fellowship on the steps of the White Plains City Hall in the cold drizzle. In New York State, our protests were aimed also at our state government, but the protests nationwide were sparked by California's recent vote to add discrimination to their state constitution and to overturn recently enacted marriage equality there. Proposition 8, the ballot initiative that did this, was passed because of intense contributions from religious conservatives who used fear as their primary weapon. Fear of the unknown. Fear of difference. Fear of religious discrimination even. Advertisements asking people to vote for the proposition cited a completely imagined scenario under which evangelical Christian, Catholic, and Mormon churches 
would somehow lose their tax-exempt status if this proposition were to fail. Lies were used to create fear, knowing that fear itself was the best motivation for hate. Politicians, too, have learned to take advantage of fear. The fear of violence and terrorism has been used since 2001 to let our government get away with chipping away at our civil liberties, perpetuating violence in our world, and even torturing people in our country's name. Americans have been politically powerless to stop it as long as we've been afraid. And the fears that come with economic uncertainty make us all vulnerable to being manipulated more by those in power. Already those fears have led to Congress capitulating on spending $700 billion to stop banks and brokerage firms that took unjustifiable risks from failing. What are the things that will be asked of us next? If we persist in being afraid, I shudder to think what they might be. Fear also makes people angry and defensive. Economic insecurity often makes people react to things in ways that are just not helpful. I'll give you an example from this very week. In June, the delegates of the Unitarian Universalist General Assembly chose, as is our custom, an issue that congregations will be asked to spend some time thinking about and studying over the next few years. It's called the Study Action Issue. And this year's is entitled Ethical Eating, Food and Environmental Justice. Now, we'll talk more about the issue itself in the new year, but arriving in mailboxes this week is the winter edition of the UU World magazine, for which my friend and colleague, the Reverend John Gibb Millspaugh, was asked to write about ethical eating at Thanksgiving. John set out to compare prices of food with different sources, butterball turkey versus free-range organic turkey versus chofurki, organic cranberries versus conventional ones. You get the picture. In the end, he concluded that eating things that were better for the earth and for the animals involved was significantly more expensive than doing otherwise. That free-range organic turkey is three times the price of the butterball, and as some have pointed out, 20 times the price of the supermarket coupon special no-name frozen bird. This, I believe, we are supposed to surmise, becomes a matter of economic justice. Making ethical choices in what we eat is out of the realm of the possible for so many. Now, sure, his article is not perfect, but the reaction among many people whose opinions I normally hold in high regard has been outrageous. How dare he, people have written, imply that just because I can't afford the free-range organic turkey, somehow I'm not ethical. Our religion will never grow, sighed another, implying that a religion that talked about ethical eatings in terms of choices in what we eat could not possibly connect with working-class people struggling to make ends meet. Now, of course, John didn't write about either of those things. In fact, as one of the people that he invited to help write our association's resource guide on the subject, I can tell you that economic justice and economic justice issues are at the forefront of how we are asking congregations to engage with the subject. But when people are afraid, afraid of the economy and its effects on our families, afraid of being judged by someone else, afraid of not having enough money to eat, or afraid of not being able to live our values out in the world, when people are afraid, they get defensive. 
and defensive people project their fears onto well-meaning folks all the time. Fear also makes people seek comfort in unhealthy things. Have you noticed that there is pretty much no such thing as healthy comfort food? I have. What is comfort food supposed to do? Comfort us in times of anxiety? Give us certainty in times of fear? I can't be alone in responding to the stress of fear by eating bad things. Now again, I don't say this to invoke and invite your diet advice. I have plenty. And the rational part of me knows exactly what to do. But rather, I say this to let you know that you're not the only one ordering more pizza these days and less broccoli. It's not just food. Addictions of all sorts begin as a way to cope with feelings we do not want to have. Economic recessions are linked to rising rates of alcoholism. People turn to unhealthy behaviors, mistakenly grasping for control over a life made uncertain by forces outside of themselves. It's no wonder that many 12-step programs like Alcoholics Anonymous have adopted Reinhold Niebuhr's famous words, now called the Serenity Prayer, as a basis for dealing with addiction. Niebuhr wrote, God, give us the grace to accept with serenity the the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things that should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. This prayer asks for grace, courage, and wisdom in the face of uncertainty. It is, in fact, a prayer written in the mid-1930s, in another time of deep economic insecurity and fear in this nation. We must deal with fear. But how? Part of dealing with fear is dealing with the uncertainty that surrounds us. Rather than seeking to exercise control over things we cannot, though, we need to find ways to live our lives in the face of this uncertainty. American Buddhist nun Pima Chodron, in her essay, Comfortable with Uncertainty, writes, We can try to control the uncontrollable by looking for security and predictability, always hoping to be comfortable and safe. But the truth is we can never avoid uncertainty. This not knowing is part of the adventure. It's also, she writes, what makes us afraid. Children reminds us that fear is a natural part of living, and she counsels us to train ourselves through spiritual practice to be comfortable with it. To her Buddhist followers, she, of course, recommends Buddhist spiritual practices. To a group of Unitarian Universalists, I, however, recommend Unitarian Universalist spiritual practice. Now, what is that, you might ask? (laughs) First, we deal with fear by nurturing our own spirits, finding the practices that bring us in contact with things outside of ourselves. For some, these might be the Buddhist practices of meditation and study that Chodron teaches. For others, it means prayer or walks in nature or setting aside a moment of the day for a special conversation. It might mean yoga or lighting a candle or reading a book. Because we are a faith with no easy answers, it's not up to me to tell you the personal spiritual practices that are right for you. Find something that makes you feel good, something that makes you feel centered, calm, secure, 
connected to the world around you and do it every day. Me, I'm a lousy meditator, but I do pray in my own way and I cook, sharing love through physical nourishment as a spiritual practice. My morning time with a steaming cup of coffee and the newspaper is a nurturing part of my day that I sorely miss when I have to skip it, a part of my day that connects me to the world outside of myself. Next, we can deal with fear by spreading goodness in our world. Like a stone thrown into a pond, our efforts to help others, our work for justice and equity, and our healing the broken world around us spreads like ripples out from us that extend farther than we know. Doing good for others helps us maintain connection to the world. Whether it's donating cocoa to the food pantry, and we interrupt this sermon for a brief public service announcement, uh, we need cocoa by, by Tuesday for the Thanksgiving baskets, and Jane is willing to collect money and go buy it for you. But whether it's donating cocoa to the food pantry, cooking for the homeless, fighting racism in community coalitions, or protesting on the steps of City Hall, for love and equality, the things that we do for others help us understand that we are not alone in this world, that we are not the ultimate end of all of existence. This is spiritual work. Maintaining those connections to others is a vital part of the Unitarian Universalist practices I recommend to help us deal with fear. In times of great uncertainty, we can create certainty by being together in community as well. In times of deep fear, we can create courage by standing together. In times of despair, we can create hope through our empathy with others around us. I also firmly believe that Unitarian Universalist faith is, when practiced best, a relational faith. Ultimate meaning is not found in a one-on-one relationship with God, but rather here in relationship and community with other human beings. It is in time of uncertainty and fear that coming together as a religious community to worship, to learn, to have fun, to do the work of justice, to do the work of caring for one another becomes so much more important. It is at times like these, it becomes all the more important that we are there for one another, that we reach out to others going through a hard time, that we open our hearts and minds to what others here are dealing with, that we create a place where people can come and be exactly who they are, hurts and all, wounds and all insecurities and fears alongside wishes and dreams. This, I believe, is the ultimate Unitarian Universalist spiritual practice, to be a community of healing, wholeness, and hope, a community whose doors are open, whose hands are helping, and whose love casts out all fear. Let us engage in that practice together. Blessed be.